Hey, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Ecosystem Podcast, where we aim to help you, the big-hearted changemaker with a bold vision to build a business that gives you butterflies and a life that makes you want to high-five yourself. How? By addressing the interconnected nature of all that you do. From marketing to mindset and everything in between, we believe your business is more ecosystem than monoculture and that when it comes to creating sustainable success, it's all connected and there is no one-size-fits-all formula. Join us for conversations that embrace nuance, elevate the importance of empathy, and address the diverse and unique strengths that enable entrepreneurs to not just make money, but to make real lasting positive change in a regenerative and revolutionary way. Hello and welcome back to the Entrepreneur's Ecosystem. Today we are so excited to have Amy Posner on the pod. So Amy is an incredible copywriter, coach, and mentor with three decades of business experience. She partners with Joe from Copy Hackers and 10X Freelancer and has her own mastermind, The Magnetic North, both of which have helped so many digital creatives completely level up their businesses, earn their worth, become renowned experts in their niche, and turn their businesses into something that actually supports their dreams and life goals. She's also super empathetic, a little bit almost closet woo, and me, Dawn's business and copy coach. So I am just so pleased to be able to have this conversation with Shanti and Amy, who are both like two of my mentors and really dear friends. So thank you for being here, Amy. So stoked. Me too. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. Yeah, so exciting. And you just reminded me of the first time we connected and I was thinking about the same thing. And I don't know if it was at the, the think tank mastermind that you talked about sales calls and how to run sales calls. But I think I had learned that from you prior to that too, through Kira and Rob. Yeah. Right. There was some, there was some kind of training and that was the first ever training I had encountered on that topic that was so step-by-step and simplified that entire process and made it way less intimidating when at the time that was the most terrifying thing in the world to me (laughs) was getting on a sales call. So thank you. Yeah. I love hearing that. And it's so funny because I'm not like the best process person. Like I'm not, it's very hard for me to break stuff down step-by-step. So like, like that I was able to do it and it actually is valuable to you is kind of a miracle. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. And closet woo. So I'm the one who called her that. She's like, I'm not closet, Dawn. Um, <laughs> recently in a coaching call, she was like, I think you need a ritual to release this thing. And I was like, oh, do tell me more. And here I am with like these years of rituals, but actually she broke that down step-by-step for me in a way that like felt a lot better. And then I had a dream about that person where they were like being nice and support. I haven't told you this, Amy, where I like 
ran into them at a party and they were being nice and supportive. And I haven't even done the ritual yet, but thinking about it and that like whole, I release you thing. I think I already did it. Like I'm, I'm, I'll do it. But yeah, that's me. I, I call her closet woo because um she just like, Amy, you just seem like so professional all the time. Not that you can't be like energetically aligned and professional, but I feel like Shanti and I are here hanging out in our like tie dye and like barefooted in the garden. And whereas I just think of you as like super pro, like hanging out in Brooklyn or something. So yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's funny because like people, they're always qualifying woo. Like, okay, this is a little woo. And I'm like, no, it isn't. Like, yeah, no, right. like just like stop qualifying. Let's just talk about it. Like it's normal. You know, um, when you're not comfortable, you can sort of like move away. Right. I don't know. That's how I feel about it anyway. I love it. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Right. I'm with you. The, the qualifier is so unnecessary because clearly everything is energy. Hmm. So. Right. Yeah. And it's it's interesting to me because the people qualify it all the time or that like that you, you would think I'm like, you know, so I see myself as a total goofball. You've heard my podcast. um, And you think I'm like very sort of proper. It's funny. I just think you like give off that air, not necessarily that you're not a goofball. And like, we're actually like friends too. Right. But yeah, I just like what wouldn't like, for example, here's the first question we always ask everyone, which is, do you identify with any of the characteristics of your astrology or human design or Enneagram, or we could go into like disc or human strengths or Myers-Briggs or, or any of those. Oh, you, you, you know, you didn't mention the only one that I've used a lot, which is Colby. Oh, Colby. I was going to say Colby. I was going to say Colby. I had a yeah. feeling. Yeah, yeah. What's your Colby? Oh, like high quick start. I can't remember the numbers exactly, but high quick start, you know, low implementer. Me too. <laughs> All three of us. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting. I did that years ago because I worked for an agency and she was using Colby to match clients with contractors. Cool. Smart. Yeah, it was yeah. Really interesting, and it worked really well because we had she had two copywriters. We were both contractors, but they, we were totally opposite, and so it worked really well. Like people who are you know fit her type worked with her. People who fit mine worked with me, and it, it ended up working pretty well. Mm. What's your fact finder? Are you a high fact finder? I'm gonna look. I don't. Know. I'm a I'm pretty high fact finder, and quick start, which is like. Ugh, it's just such a tough combo. Yeah. Cause I want to know all the things while do whilst also doing all the things. Yeah. Oh, so I'm a five fact finder two follow through eight quick start and four implementer, which at the moment, I don't remember even what all those mean. Yeah. Are you something about me? I should know. I don't know. I'm so new to this. It was one of our podcast guests who brought me into, and I was like, I have really similar numbers to that as well. I'm like a nine quick start. And Shanti and I were speaking about this the other day because like my implementation and responsibility is super low. Amy, that will probably not surprise you. But Shanti was like, as if, because for Shanti's business, I'm like, hell yeah, like, let's get this shit done. (laughs) But, you know, for me, I'm like, oh, yeah, that lead magnet that those, you know, people want, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry, Shanti, you go. Sorry. No, no. I, I'm just curious, like being low implementers, because I my I think I'm like around two or three on implementation too. How have 
both of you addressed that in your businesses where you've got big goals and you want to go for them and implement, like, what does that look like? You know, it's odd for me because I'm like, I'm a mega implementer. I'm like, I'm a deliverer. I'm a, like, I put things out the door. So I don't know why. I don't know why I'm, I'm, I'm lower. I wonder, it'd be interesting to know if maybe I've changed because I'm doing different work now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Has it always been the case that you've been able to implement without like encountering megatons of resistance? Yeah, actually. I mean, I was thinking about it this month because we're, um, I'm in a group where we're, we're dealing with different topics and this month is procrastination. And I'm like, I'm, I really don't procrastinate. Oh, I just don't. I probably have the opposite problem. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, let me get one more thing done. Oh, wouldn't it be good to do this now? Because then I won't have to do it later next week. And, you know, my coach is to me like, yeah, why don't you just stop sleeping? And then you could get like this and this and that done. I was like, oh, right. Yeah, okay, got it. Uh, wow. You don't procrastinate. You are like a rare gem. I just, I'm like queen of procrastination. So my low implementation number to me always makes sense. And I love working with people who are like, yeah, let's get her done. That's how I've addressed it. Um, what about you, Don? Uh, yeah, I think so working for you or working for other people, like I just love to serve. So if I like feel like I'm serving other people or like not necessarily the deadlines are set, but the expectations are set by other people, same with clients too. I don't have a problem like executing on client projects necessarily. Although when I do feel that resistance, it makes me like take a step back and look at what I'm doing to see if like, maybe that's not in alignment with what I want to do. And then I also think, uh, yeah, like I, I, I joined Amy's mastermind and I joined your mastermind. So at least then I have other people holding me accountable. Right. So I do think that, yeah, as a service-oriented person, I mean, of course, we should also care about serving ourselves, right? And and like you, I am a procrastinator. Oh, for example, like uh, when I was in university and I, this is a long story because it was a really long degree, but I ended up uh, focusing on poetry and creative writing. And the reason I did it was one, because I just wanted to like get the piece of paper because I put in a lot of work on a poli sci part of my degree, but also because like, I love writing poetry and I won't do it unless there's a deadline. So for me, like (laughs) paying people makes me do things like really setting it's not the goal I'm interested in. It's more like the expectation. It's like intrinsic, but extrinsic. It's like intrinsically, I will like hire or seek extrinsic uh, responsibility, I think, in order to get through that. I also think, um, and you two, not to like toot my own horn, but, and you two are there too. Like when you're really smart at good at things, it's like, it's easier to implement the easy things, right? So like, if you're just good at something, you can just do it. And it doesn't feel like this, like resistance flog thing most of the time. So I'm like, oh, I just do it because it's fun and easy. It's when it's like, I don't know, like doing the dishes. I'm, I'm better at that now. It's not like really it, but those like uh, more like tedious, not exciting things that are harder to like execute on and be responsible for. So yeah, maybe paying people, paying other people to be like, did you hand it in? You know, right? <laughs> but I, I'm fascinated by this idea that it's it's that we don't do the same things that we do for other people. 
for clients that we do for ourselves. Yeah. Right. Like, so why is it, why do you not procrastinate for them, but you do for you or what, like what, you know, I mean, you said it like, yeah, we have to take care of ourselves, but why is that so easy to not do? And especially when we're wired that way, right. It's like, what, like, is it like a relationship to ourselves or how we think about ourselves or our business? I don't know. I, I just find it fascinating because I like there are just things you can't do yourself. I mean, you can, but you're better off not to. Um, yeah, it's just it's an interesting, an interesting phenom. But I will say, you know, the hiring people really works. I mean, it's like the things you can't do. It's so brilliant when you hire someone to do them and it's like it's effortless and it's way easier for them because they can see what you can. Mm. So life-changing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And agreed. That phenomenon of putting ourselves last. I see it in myself. I see it in students and clients. And it is this big question mark of, well, why does that happen? Do you, do you see that often in your clients? All the time. All the time. Yeah, I do. I, it's just, yeah. And I actually, I think that's a good reason for people, you know, to do that work with me or with you is because you need I don't know that you need, but it really, it moves the needle more quickly if you have that reflection. I mean, somebody else who can see what you can't. Yeah, it's just, it's just funny. I mean, I guess there's only a certain perspective you can have on yourself or your work. And I don't know, like, I don't know if it's, if like, I mean, certainly women are conditioned to like be helpers and not think of ourselves as much. Like, but I see men have the same problem in business, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of a, I don't know. I don't know if it's a cultural thing. I don't know what, I mean, I don't know what it is. I feel like Tanya could tell us. Tanya, Tanya. Uh, yeah, Tanya. Tanya. Yeah, I, we we had her on on the pod oh, a couple months ago now, and um, I feel like it's like like a, a fear of failure, fear fear of success thing for me. I think like for me, I'm a little bit afraid if I put things out there that I'll have to do them. <laughs> And that I'll like have to do like, or that, you know, like that I'll, I'll be seen and then more will be asked of me than I'm like ready to step into maybe. So by like pulling back a little bit, then I, yeah. And, and I don't, I don't know that it like necessarily serves, although I really like where I'm at in life. So I'm not regretting any of that, but yeah, I definitely think it's like, Uh, for some reason I was going to think of like, you know, like how much you charge per like quiz project Shanti. And like, when you charge that much, you better effing deliver something crazy, amazing. And it's like, sort of like, if, if I ask this thing of myself and tell people I'm going to do this thing, then I'm going to have to like deliver on it. And I'm a little bit afraid of like both not doing it or the like stratosphere I might end up in if I do it. Okay. So I want to just tie a few things together because, so you mentioned that when you pay for support and, and you get help and are joining masterminds and hiring people that that helps to overcome that resistance. And then this whole conversation also makes me think about seeing this phenomenon, not just with fellow copywriters or business owners who are struggling, but also um, clients who've hired me in the past. And I wonder if you've seen this too, Amy. Um, In the past, when I was not charging nearly enough 
when it would be like an easy heck yes from whoever I was talking to. Mm. So totally undercharging, not really positioning what I was selling as a total game changer, but just as like another thing you can do. And I didn't yet understand that like value-based pricing. I'd love to talk to you about that. So before I was doing that, I would get clients and they'd they'd pay, I'd do the work, I'd deliver, and then they wouldn't implement on their end. They wouldn't actually set the emails up, set the quiz up, launch the quiz. And it was so painful to me because I'm like, well, I mean, I still like did all this work. I want to see what happens. Like a lot went into this. I was undercharging, so it was especially painful. And I couldn't, I couldn't collect a testimonial or put a case study together, not because of anything I did, but because to them, I don't know what it was. I don't, and on their end, they were happy with the work. There are no changes. So this was a big mystery to me. And then when I finally figured out positioning, pricing based on value, learning how to sell from that perspective, everything changed. I, I really never again experienced a client not implementing what we created. Have you encountered that? Yes, 100% I have. And it's interesting because I, it, it, it seems like counterintuitive because where I've encountered that is with the smaller clients for whom the project is almost life or death for their business. Not, not quite that extreme, but it's like, you know, they've pulled budget that you know, is a lot for them. Um, they've got a big idea, they've got a big goal, and then they don't implement. And it, it just, I just was shocked by that. Like, I, I don't understand what that, I don't understand that phenomenon at all. And it was one of the reasons I, I kind of like those clients because it's like, you feel like if, if it works, you really help them, right? It's like, it's really significant for them. But what I didn't like was I don't like feeling like I'm taking anyone's last dollar if they're not going to, especially if they're not going to use the thing. It's like, I do not want to take that responsibility. So that's why I left that market, went into a more sophisticated market. And then it was like, oh, this is a whole other world. Like you're saying, it's like people who understand what they're buying. They know how to use it. They want to use it. They're keen to use it. They're keen to test that. Like they want to do all the things that actually make our work rewarding. But I mean, there's an irony there though, right? Because, you know, for people who are newer, like, how do you, like, how do you know that? How do you sort of, I don't know, I can't think of a word, but how do you swim in that? How do you like position yourself? It's really, it's really tricky. But yes, I've seen it so many times. Even, I just like, there's one that I just remember so clearly, this Canadian guy. And I had, I had these old friends of mine design this thing for him, like as a special, you know, thing. Cause he was kind of, you know, it was a kind of tight budget and we did all this stuff and it was really great. And all the air went out. Just never happened. Anyway, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, yeah. It happened. It happened to me a few times. And my solve was maybe I could include some coaching sessions in in the packages where, yes, the main reason you're buying this is for the deliverables. But what if resistance comes up on their end? And it just goes unspoken and you don't know what's going on and how much can you push and insist and offer help to get them there. So that was one idea that I had and and sort of still playing around with that, like where, 
where can some coaching be helpful even when we're doing something that's seemingly unrelated? Interesting. So have you used that model? I mean, do you do that actually, or it's an idea more? It's sort of just an idea at this stage because it's become less problematic where Mm -hmm. people are implementing that we're working with and have teams to help them. But at the same time, if it ever comes up again, I, I feel like I have more tools in my tool belt to potentially deal with it if someone's open to it. And from a communication standpoint on a sales call or an initial kickoff call, I like to talk about it and just say like, this is a big project and things might come up. Resistance might come up. Questions and doubt might come up and let's talk about that if it does. I love that you bring that up. And do people come back to you and talk about it? Or they talk about it right then maybe, or not really? Not really. Not yet. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, hopefully it remains a non-issue. But like, why did it become a non-issue? So for me, changing the pricing, changing the positioning, for you moving into a more sophisticated market, if people are listening and this is happening to them, or they're wondering, what does that look like? What is positioning? How do I shift my pricing to be value-based? Ooh, those are some big those questions. Are, those are big questions. So let's break them up. Can we start with yes, let's positioning? So positioning, I'm fascinated by positioning. Because positioning, it's kind of, it's a good sort of jump off from where we've been. Because positioning is, it's sort of how you describe yourself or where you put, where you set yourself in a marketplace. And, and that has to do with your skill set, but it also has to do with your offers, right? So, and, and the really interesting thing, and people listening will, you know, will have heard this, and I am not the one to beat on the niching drum, particularly. You know, I was, the, I didn't niche. I didn't niche for a really long time because I get bored easily and I just wanted to know everything, right? I, let me do this. Let me do that. Ooh, let me learn about that. I was just like endlessly fascinated until I wasn't um, because it became, you know, it, I needed to streamline things. But what, like in terms of getting started and positioning yourself and what that has to do with niching is the more specific you are, the easier it is for people to buy your services, and the more specific you are also, the more you can. So let me, let me digress for a second. I, you know, there are two kinds of, like if we're talking copywriting, there are two kinds of clients. There are clients who use copy and there are clients who don't, right? Like everyone might use it to some extent because they'll have a website, but it may be like, that's it. They have a website. They put it up whenever I go and oh, there it is. And then there are other people whose entire businesses are driven by copy, right? I mean, that's like, that's how they make their money. They don't write it, but they hire it and they know exactly what they need. And they know, and they have the experience dealing with copywriters to know what they're, what they need, what they're looking for. And so you might think as a newer person, well, am I sophisticated enough? Do I know enough to position myself for that market? And one of the things that that I see a lot is, and it kind of ties into our earlier conversation too, is we're really like hesitant to like grab the ring of expertise, right? It's like, and it's like, if you hang out your shingle, there was some part of you some time that said, I could do this. You know, somebody needs this thing. I could do this thing, you know? And then, you, and then like, you're, 
then people feel like they're like standing on not on solid ground. It's like walking on jello. It's like, what? I, wait, I knew yesterday. I don't know today. Like it, it gets, it's very hard to get your hands around. And so if you, and I, I guess this is probably true with anything, but if you narrow your focus, there's less to deal with, there's less to learn, and you have a better chance instead of going wide, if you go deep on something, you have a better chance of actually feeling like an expert or feeling like you have a good body of knowledge. And I think that's, I think that's more important than, than going broad. Yes, it's important to like, yeah, you want to keep adding, you know, tools to your belt for sure. But you also, I mean, you're in business to make money. And so you want to be practical about what's going to give you what you want. Because, you know, I think you can be happy in business. I think you can really like build it so you can enjoy it and love it. I don't mean every minute, but I think you can love it a lot more than you might. But you've got to do that thing we were talking about. You have to take care of yourself. So how does that tie into positioning? Positioning is a decision. I mean, literally it is. It's like, okay, I'm going to like, I was a funnel copywriter. I positioned myself as a funnel copywriter by starting to talk about funnels and studying funnels and the different types and what they look like and who used them. And pretty quick, I was an expert on funnels. I knew all the ins and outs and I could sell those skills for increasingly more money because I could see myself getting better and more efficient and getting better results, which is also a good reason to position yourself in a kind of an, in a narrow slot. Now, that's it. I might add one thing to that because I, I don't think that anyone wants to go there too quickly. Like I, I think I think you you have to to some extent follow what you're comfortable with. Like I'm all for getting out of your comfort zone. I'm all for pushing yourself, pushing through fear, all of it. But if it's too much, you're not going to do it. And we have to be realistic with ourselves and like what you know what can we really do? And so I I think I think that's the the first kind of alignment. It's like kind of what do you want? And you know, you can't you can't start business and have what you want day one. Sometimes not year one. I mean, it's something you have to build, really worthwhile build. But you have to think about like what's what you literally need, what's going to serve you, and then how that transfers to delivering value to your clients. Does that make does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I love that positioning as a decision. Mm, me too. That statement, and then and then the emphasis on specificity. And not necessarily saying I'm only going to work with NFT creators, but to choose something like funnels, that's an entire universe and every niche or industry could potentially need or want a funnel of some sort, of some variety. So it gives you enough interesting terrain to explore and for things to stay kind of exciting. I think with quizzes, it's similar because yes, it's the same process, but it's with all these different types of businesses and approaches. Exactly. And that's how I was able to stay interested because early on, I just wanted to do everything. So I wanted my hand in everything. I wanted to try sales pages. I wanted to do landing pages. I wanted to write email. I just wanted to like see what that was all like and get my hands dirty and then after a while, it was like, oh, I don't, I didn't really want to niche in an industry type because I had done that a little bit. And every time I just got bored very quickly. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, if I, you know, niche in a copy type, like you said, like funnels, I mean, it's applicable across all kinds of industries. And now I can sort of satisfy my curiosity to like learn about new things and still be, and still be super efficient. Cause that's the thing, you know, the other, there's two ways to make money in this business or two ways to make more money. You know, one is raise your rates. The other is get faster. Right. 
Mm-hmm. So if I charge 10,000 for something that took me, you know, 20 hours this year and takes me 10 hours next, I've do- effectively doubled my rate. So it's, that's another reason for positioning or going narrow, because as you get faster, you, you make more money and you do better. And, you know, and all of that sort of elevates you too. Mm. Yeah. And the confidence piece, I think is, is key too, because you do eventually, you know, a lot of the answers, most of the answers to most of the questions that people are going to ask around funnels or quizzes or whatever it is. But one thing that I want to bring up is the Dunning-Kruger effect. And sort of combined with this idea, and I don't know if you've heard this before, but it's, it's sort of a when people are wondering, am I really an expert? Do I really know enough? Am I really ready to choose this as my focus to position myself as the funnel expert or whatever, whatever thing they want to dive into that big question mark arises. If they're familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect, then they're like, maybe I'm just like at the top of Mount stupid and I don't actually know anything. And there's a lot of doubt that comes up. And so one solution I've heard an idea that I think is helpful. I'm curious around your thoughts. And it's this phrase of, if you know 10% more than the person you're trying to help on whatever the subject matter is, then you're an expert. I've never heard that. Is that like, what's that? What's, is that like, um, Oh, the Dunning-Kruger. Oh, that's that's Dunning-Kruger? Well, no, that's just a kind of a, I mean, I'm surprised you've never heard that. I feel like I've heard it so many times that it's become cliche and I don't know where it even comes from. Well, that's what's going to happen. A cliche? What is that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, it's just like one of those answers that it floats in the online business ether. And I don't know where it originated, but it's, it's, and I've said it myself and, and like, you know, part of me is like, well, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But of course, yeah, we do have the Jenny Kruger effect. And like, so what do you think when someone yeah. comes to you and they, and they ask that, like, am I really an expert? Can I really well, do this? It, yeah. It's, it's a great question. Like, and, and what is that? I mean, I gave a talk years ago. I think it's the first time I spoke at the copywriter club and my whole, the, the whole thing was the, where the, the theme was I confer expertise, like go forward and be an expert because we're all like, how do you, how do you become an expert and how do you qualify your expertise? So one of the things that I think, well, when people come to me and they come to me like in a coaching or mentoring capacity, I'll tell them, I mean, I'll tell them the truth. And I've seen, and you have too, I and mean, I, you know, we've seen so much of other people's copy. I mean, can't you tell pretty quick? If like, you can tell like if A, if someone's good, you can tell B, if they're natural good or if they're a trained good or if there's some <laughs> cross between, right? You get pretty adept at telling where people sit and I'll just be dead honest with them. And most people are way better than they think they are. Mm. And there's very few people who have the opposite. Like they think, that, I, I have run into one though and it was really hard to work with her because she thought she was good and she actually wasn't that great. That was, that was tricky. But so- what I try and do is, is like help them find or amplify their expertise by actually demonstrating to them. Like, let me look at your piece and let me show you why this is good and what it is that you've done that not everybody can do. 
um, and just really help them see what it is they know. Because I think we're all a little bit like that, right? Like, you know, when you know something so well, you sort of take it for granted. Like, oh, yeah, that's no big deal. Which, oh, little side note is why I always tell people, like, do what's easy. Mm. Like, we, we tend to dismiss what comes easily to us. Like, we don't see the value. Oh, I'm, you know, yeah, everyone must be able to do that. Or, you know, but no. Mm-mm. What comes easy to you could be your superpower and not to be dismissed because it's easy. Anyway, I, got, I, got, I digressed a little bit there, but I, I, don't, I don't know um, about the 10% thing. But I'll tell you one thing that I do think. I think that good professional, whatever you are, freelancer, whatever you know, your particular discipline is, if you have access to learn the thing you need to do to do something. I'm not suggesting like take it on like, oh, I've never done this, but sure, I'll do this for you. Like that's probably not fair to your client. But yes, like knowing that 10% more or having that experience, but then having the resources to go and learn that thing, mm. right? Like, like I heard somebody embarrassing, like say this and she was a little embarrassed. Like, oh yeah, I take the job and then I go to copy school and I'm like, like look this up, and I, you know? And, and like, she thought that wasn't legit. I think that's not only legit, I think that's who I want to hire. Mm. I want to hire yeah. the person who's going to solve the damn problem no matter what it takes and has access to that and is going to do their best job. I, I don't think it's like you have to know everything. Well, you can't know everything, right? So I think that's a really, really legit way to, to do it. And, and you know, when you do that, like you're taking a learning curve, you take the time, right? That's your time. It's on you, but it is 100% legitimate, I think. Do you, does that make sense to you? Do you agree? Oh, Yeah. I have done that countless times. <laughs> Me too. Whether it's whether it's learning about a specific industry, like I was talking to someone the other day, a potential client, and and he was like, "Well, you've never worked in our in our niche before in this in this industry. Like, do you really think you can help us and get us good results?" I'm like, "Yeah, easy. It's the it's the same it's the same process." And I find the topic really interesting. I'd like to have the opportunity to crack into this world and give it a shot and learn. And yeah, probably there will be more research time on my end, but that doesn't matter for you. You don't have to sit there and do the research. So yeah. And and I'm not sure if that's even going to go through because it's a it's a resistance piece on their end is like, well, can you, can you learn, can you figure it out? But I think when you are the type of person who's willing to research, figure things out as you go, that in itself is a huge deal. I think so too. And natural curiosity, right? Like just being interested in stuff so you can dig into it and figure out like, why does it interest anyone else? Right? How can I, how can I make this this argument? Mm-hmm. If copywriters only sold what they were already into, then like we would be selling, I don't know, yoga and gardening or something only. Right? Those aren't <laughs> things that even sell that well. So, well, actually, I do have a friend with a, a microgreens funnel that brings in like six figures a month. Actually. Oh wow. Yeah, but he's become the expert. And you know how he became the expert? He started by biking around, collecting compost, and then having a lawn garden, and then 
you know, selling at the market and then writing a book. And then once he wrote his book, he stopped being that expert anymore. And now instead he just like consults and has his podcast where he's very um, divisive, uh, but people like it and his mic and then hired someone else to write the microgreens funnel. And yeah, I just remember checking in with him and being like, yo, how's that going? And he's like, yeah, it's going very well. Right. And so, yeah, I think the idea that we're already going to know how to do something in this world, especially since things are always changing so quickly and like, especially in the digital realm and in the online realm, the idea that like, we're going to like even get a degree and then know how to do anything in it without all of the supplementary classes and, and hiring coaches and yeah, copy school or whatever the equivalent is for different design or, or whatever is yeah exactly laughable you guys are laughing it's it's laughable because we the world has never changed so quickly in historical memory and the idea that we'd already have it figured out is ridiculous yes yes it's really interesting I was just listening listening to this um Seth Godin podcast and he was talking about that he was like the I can't I can't remember what he identified as like the three big changes that have happened in like 30 years Mm. where all these other big changes, like, you know, industrialization. I mean, they, it's like an event, like a once in a, you know, many, many, many decades event. And now we've had like, not only do we have computers, but we have the internet and like, so it's like, yeah, no, I mean, well, and now we have web three. What does that mean? I'm not sure exactly. Right. But like, it's, it's like, it's, it's almost like as soon as you hear about it, you're probably behind. Um, and that's almost like everyone. So that that makes me think like maybe it's easier to be an expert in a newer thing even because there's just less people doing it. I have the problem. I have the problem of being an expert. I'm like, oh, are you sure I'm an expert? So like I do, I, I feel that. I feel, I feel that. And I feel where people could be coming from, from that and then how to position yourself. So, um, and summer who's going to be on the pod, uh, the week after you, it'll be released, but she's like crazy expert, but like afraid of like claiming her expertise. And I think that so many of us, I feel like in order to be an expert, I need to be like, I got these results and it made this much money for my client. And I know it worked for these reasons. And then I could be like, I'm an expert in this thing. But I feel like that's not, not how you're talking about it, Amy or, or Shanti either, about like what, what it actually means to be an expert. And, you know, it's a funny thing. It's a good question. And I think like, does anyone ever feel like an expert? I guess, I guess some people do. Oh, this actually reminds me, um, I was talking with some dude last night about his brother has like a PhD in philosophy. And we're just talking about like teaching philosophy and and how every time he asks his brother a question, he'll be like, well, this thinker says this, and this thinker says this. And he'll be like, yeah, but what do you think? And then he'll be like, well, but this thinker said that. Right. And I think it's like, if we know what the thinkers said, if we can like claim what the experts say, even me, like if someone's like, what about this for copy? I'll be like, well, Joe says this. Like, okay. I can step back in copy school. It says this. Um, maybe we can like, like break through or bust it, you know, but other than that, it's like this person said that. And since I know that, and I've studied that, maybe that's part of like what creates like an expert feeling in me. I don't know. Uh, this happened yesterday. I saw, so a client sent me a video. They wanted me to base a landing page off 
and they wanted the landing page to only be video because in this video that she was referencing, they say people don't read, they only watch video. And, you know, I sort of took that expert position of saying to her, I don't think that's true. In fact, I know that's not true. People do read and it's more about appealing to different learning styles and we need to have some copy on the page. It can't just be video or at the very least captions. And, you know, I think it's important once you learn the rules to learn what rules you want to abide by, like through your own experience, what new ideas have developed. Yeah. I I love that. And it's, because it's so, you know, it's funny too. I mean, it's, it's sort of subjective. Like you were saying, Dawn, like, well, you know, unless I have, and, and I hear this all the time, like, I, I don't have the results, you know, like, have, unless I have, you know, this statistic, I'm, I can't do X, right? And the truth is, it, it, there's a couple of truths. One is it's really hard to get numbers from clients, like way harder than anyone realizes for all kinds of reasons that have nothing to do with you. Um, everything from they don't really know how to track them to they don't want to share them to, I, you just name it. It's really hard. So how do you, okay, well, if I haven't done that, how do I say I can do it? And you know, the thing I would always tell people, um, well, the three roles of marketing are test, test, and test. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. And I promise you, like, I can't, you know, I wish I could guarantee something, but I can't. Mm-hmm. What I can tell you is this is what I know. This is what I believe. This is what I will try and do for you. But, and I'm considered an expert, right? I mean, they're coming to me, like they want to hire me because I'm the expert. And I'm, I'm sure they're really disappointed when I'm like, Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Let's go and see. I mean, I'm, I, I'm much more reassuring than that, but that's really the bottom line, right? And, and I'm saying that because I think it's important for people who are less experienced to hear that. Like, it, so being the expert doesn't mean, I'm trying to stop using the word master. I don't know what to replace it with, but it doesn't, it's like, you don't have, you don't have to have 100% mastery and you probably never will. So maybe that's, you know, maybe that falls right back into the 10%. Like that's enough more, like the 10% and your ambition. Yeah, yeah. I was reading a book recently that really dug into the law of fallibility mm-hmm. and that all knowledge is fallible. We don't, we can't know everything. We don't know everything. Everything we think is fact is actually evolving and not necessarily fact. Like it, it's all fallible. And so there's this humbleness mm. that abides when you hold that, that fallibility as even when you do have the numbers and the case studies, the same objections arise, the same challenges are there. And the total certainty and confidence that oh, I've done this before, I can do it for you doesn't exist. Like not necessarily. Mm. Right. I think it's important that we can communicate that to potential clients or students. And it seems to be becoming more common practice, but I think it also comes with confidence because like there was a time when I would be terrified to have said that to a potential client that like, I can't guarantee you'll you'll get great results because I would have been so attached to getting that client. But 
but the more experience you gain, it's like, well, no, yeah. I mean, hopefully we'll do our best. We'll follow the same processes and all of the ingredients are there. Sometimes the souffle just doesn't rise. Exactly. And, you know, what's interesting about that is it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't come down to skill level necessarily, right? Like somebody brand new could outright me on an offer every day of the week. I mean, if they were the right person and it doesn't, so it's not like, okay, so I've gotten the result, but you just wrote a better thing than me. So, right. What's. Yeah. I think it's so interesting what you brought up Shantia, the idea that like, I think it maybe is easier for you or Amy to be like, yeah, this will probably work. It's worked in the past. Whereas like someone who's newer in business, like needs to sound more confident on a sound on a sales call or like be more like strong in themselves, even in, in the call or like when they're writing their offer, like sales page or something, then someone who's like just already seen as an expert. If you're seen as an expert, you can probably be humble. If you're a no name, you probably have to like still be humble, but be more confident in order to like close that sales call and get that under underneath your belt. I, I think that was the intuition I was having. Like, sure, Amy, you can be like, yeah, I can't guarantee anything because you're Amy. Not that not that anyone should be guaranteeing anything that they can't guarantee, but that if I was to be approaching the same client, maybe I would need to be like, well, these are some results that I got in the past. And I am confident that we can work together to get you them in the future. And I'll throw in like a, you know, follow up three months down the line, optimize the quiz sales page website, what have you in order to like, have that person be confident to like metaphorically shake hands on the contract and and move forward with working for you or with you. You know, and I think the irony is there is it's, it's hard to ask questions when you're new because you feel like asking questions makes you look like you don't know things. And later on, you realize the more questions you ask, the more you're respected. And, and one of the things, and I'd, I'd be curious if you two agree with this, that seems to be universally true, is clients off, often show up with a misdiagnosis, yeah. right? They show up telling mm-hmm. you what they think they need, and often it's not correct. Yeah. And so if you're a newer person, and well, A, you might not realize that. You may just think like, okay, you want these deliverables, cool, I'll create these deliverables. Or you may think, hmm, no, I'm not sure that that's the way it would work best. And, so, and I know like what you're saying, Don, is 100% valid. Yeah, so it's like very hard to sort of like take, take control there. But I, I would suggest like just being curious and having a conversation, like explore a little bit. Like don't feel so much like you have to, like I have, must be a certain way. I must sound like I know what I'm talking about. Like, so say more about that. Like, how do you see that? Like, how, how, you know, like asking these kinds of probing questions. The funny thing is that's a signal to the client that, that you're an expert but you don't realize that. I'll tell you a really quick story. I used, there's a, um, a company that helps people digitize their intellectual property, basically. And they hire a lot of copywriters to create their courses and their funnels and all this stuff. And so, and I would, she was a, the woman who was running this company was a client of mine for a while. And then she knew that I worked with copywriters and wanted to know, could I recommend copywriters to her? And I, I've probably sent her, I don't know, half a dozen people over the years but I sent her someone who was early stages and really good. You know, you see those people and you're like, oh boy, you're going to have an amazing career. And I thought, 
I, you know, th this would be a good match because she needs experience, but she's really good that, you know, the price would be right. It just seemed like good all around. I set them up and they, they had the discovery call. And this woman that I sent them didn't ask any questions. She was very shy and she was very agreeable. I mean, she's not shy, but she was shy in this circumstance and she was very agreeable. And yes, I'll do that. And they came back to me and they said, I don't think she's going to be a fit because she really, she seems way too new. She didn't ask any question. She didn't seem curious. So I ended up, and I said to them, look, I get that. She doesn't have those skills, but you'll be really happy with the writing. So like, give her a try. If it doesn't work out, fine. But I think, you know, I think this is a person for you. And it turned out to be, but boy, was that revealing. Mm. Because, I mean, they would have rejected her outright. And she, and she was great for them. And she worked with them a long time. But I mean, that's sad, right? No way. Yeah, I love that statement. The more questions you ask, the more you're respected. I've experienced that. Absolutely. And on the flip side, when I speak to someone who's supposed to be an expert and they're, and they're just agreeing with me on every point, I'm like, really? Like I want some pushback. I, I want to be wrong or to see a different perspective and this whole conversation makes me think of kind of a metaphor here. So we know that healing, for example, if something is wrong and you've got like a, a chronic illness, something's up. We know that it's often complicated. There are, there are a lot of potentialities and things that could, could address it, but also maybe not address it. And so, you know, but also if, if you're not feeling good and you go to a naturopath or a doctor and, and you find that you're deficient in iron and you start supplementing with iron or eating a grass fed steak once a week, you're going to likely feel better. Maybe it won't solve everything, but you'll likely feel better. And I think in the same way, if we can ask like diagnostic type questions and, and find like within a business, oh, this is just an iron deficiency. This is something that we can totally solve. Mm -hmm. Like maybe it won't transform everything, but there will be a pretty certain positive benefit from that one change. And we would only get to that discovery through that process of asking questions and not assuming that they're coming to us because they already know what the fix is. And we'll just step in and do as we're told, right? Mm. Oh, I love that. It's such a good analogy too, because, you know, it, like a misdiagnosis would be giving you something else and you, and you don't feel better because you didn't ask like, well, Hey, by the way, do you, when this happens, do you? And like, Oh, okay. Well then. Right. And, and like, I'm thinking about like those client calls where, you know, like, especially when I did funnel work, you know, people would show up and they'd be like, well, I need a funnel and it's going to have a this and a that and a this and a that. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Like, have you done that before? No, but you know, so-and-so did and it worked great. I'm like, okay, cool. Cause you know, let's, let's look at so-and-so and let's look at you. And then we find out, oh, well, like so-and-so has a 300,000 person list and, you know, and, and, you know, their audience knows them really well. And you're, you know, you have a thousand people and you're kind of newish. So I like, this could be, you know, what the tactics that we could use and the strategy just might be different. So like, are you open to looking at that? Yeah. Makes me think of list offer copy before we even said that, like just the idea that like, you don't know, like 
so many people are, can you write me a, like, I, I need a sales page for this offer. And then you like, look at the offer and look at their audience and you're like, oh, you know, you don't need that at all. Like, or the offer, like I've seen um, Shanti, like help people optimize their offers a lot of times. And I think it makes a huge difference. And it's sure it's the, sure it's the quiz funnel and the sales copy, like the sales page copy at the end, but it's also just like the way the offer stack got made so much more brilliant by looking like without even changing it. I'm like, without even changing a course or like what's in it, just pulling out like what the audience with the list actually, actually wanted or actually needed, or like who the people who are following them actually are and what they need as opposed to, yeah, as opposed to like, just like going from ego. I feel like every time we go from like ego or like, oh, well, yeah, Amy P did it this way. So that's the way I need to do it or what have you. Or like, yeah, like, oh, the vegan diet, that's the answer. And it's like, well, it depends what's wrong probably. Right. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's kind of, it's kind of a good analogy. I mean, to think of yourself as a diagnostician, who's then going to prescribe a treatment, right. Yeah. Rather than like, the, you know, like you could come in and say, oh, my leg's broken and the doctor puts on a cast or the doctor says, well, let's make sure. Right. Is your leg really broken? Oh, it turns out it's not. So I think like maybe what I'm going to do is just, you know, give you crutches for a week. Right. right. And if you can work with someone, if you can work with a practitioner that you trust and that you like and you respect and that is willing to work with you for a, a longer period to get it right. I think that's worth a lot too. Like if you go to get some, some health crisis addressed and you implement something and it doesn't work and you go back and that practitioner is like, well, guess you're hopeless. Like, see you later. (laughs) That sucks. Right. And But often that is what happens in, um, in a business setting. It's like, I don't know that that we're, if it's a case of not cultivating trust from the get-go where like, maybe this won't work, but I'm willing to work with you until it does so that we can figure it out because some things take time. And that was actually what I said to this, um, potential client who was, in the other niche and concerned that it wouldn't work because it's a different industry. And I was like, well, you know what, like, let's just figure something out that is a little bit custom. And a few months after we launch it, if it's not working, here's another strategy we could try that might work better. And we can just keep iterating because often that's what it takes. And that's not the shiny result that you see on the surface but that's the reality behind the scenes. Yes, a hundred percent. And, you know, I, this is funny. I did, when I first started my full-time copywriting business, I made this bold claim. I would say the job's not done until you get results. Now it was stupid in a way, but it, you know, what it, it won me a lot of projects because basically what I say to them, look, if this doesn't work, I'll try something else. And I was new and I just figured I want to get the clients. I want to get the experience. I don't really care if I have to do it again. I mean, I didn't, I, you know, sure. I'd make less money, but I felt like that was like, that, if that would get my foot in the door, then I was willing to, well, I'm pretty scrappy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, and that feels like the guarantee. 
And, and that's, I think what I was saying earlier about how like a newer person with like working towards creating their expertise, they might not be able to guarantee it, but they might be able to say like, I'll keep trying. Whereas you're in a place now where you can just be like, well, I, I can't guarantee, but I do know this has worked many times. And, or I am uh, like, I, I'm, I'm your intake at the naturopath and we're going to use the little like machine to see, I have like a list of allergies in front of me. So that's where that's coming from. Like, we're going to use this little machine to see like, is it beets? Is it beer? Is it apples? Is it apricots? Like we're going to look at all of the parts of your business, which as a newer person, maybe you're not quite there yet, but if you're willing to like, I'll keep going till the results are there. You're probably going to learn to be that, like that, that, like, I can't say the word diagnostician. (laughs) You'll probably learn, learn how to be that through doing. And I think that for me is also where this expertise thing comes from. Like I can critique a quiz like nobody's business because at this point, I would almost be surprised if Shanti had critiqued as many quizzes as me, definitely in the last year, because probably not, <laughs> right? Definitely not in the last year, maybe in the last six years or something, right? But like I like I just have seen so many of them in the last little while, especially with these templates that we've been creating for Interact. So, like, do I feel like I'm a bit of an expert in a quiz? Yes. Did I <laughs> did I throw myself at Kevin Rogers and like be the expert telling him about what was wrong with his quiz? Yes. Um, do I want to do that with the rest of his funnel? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I keep getting the emails. Have I done that? No, I'm not going to necessarily, but I felt really confident being like, yo, your ad, your quiz, there's problems here. I'm just going to tell you what's up. Right. And I do think maybe we don't need 10 years to be an expert just to, to come back to this. Like maybe it doesn't need to be 10 years of experience to be an expert, but like, I'm pretty sure like the Latin <laughs> comes from the same place and that experience goes a long way to being able to like actually diagnose what might be wrong in a funnel or like we had a really big client. I I think that Shanti's probably done, done with her now, Um, but we had a really, really big client uh, who hired us as the experts and then pushed back on absolutely everything that we were doing. And it's like, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And I got the the feedback from that and it, it ultimately was not a successful project um, and was specifically the bits and pieces that their team took and, and basically redid. And, and then the blame is, is being placed on us. And I'm like, that's not uh, really going to jive because actually at the point of publication, that was no longer I can't take responsibility for that work. That was yeah. no longer our work. Certainly not. No. Yeah. We're I like, yeah, we were still, this is like months ago when we were like still getting like Google doc updates, like, you know, three weeks oh, That's ago. a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> How do you turn that off? <laughs> I get an email address. I can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's so funny that people hire experts and then bring on their marketing team of like junior people that they can afford to pay as full-time employees and then let those people decide whether or not things are going to work. It makes me, I mean, funny in like a, I'll never work with people of that size uh, sort of way. Well, and maybe that's 
similar to what we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, which is that failure to implement, failure to launch, right? Mm -hmm. So both to me seem like a form of Mm self-sabotage to some degree, because both evade the, the expertise of the person decided to hire in the first place. Yes. I have, a, I have a little point I want to add that I was just thinking as you were talking about this, because I was thinking about like, okay, people hearing this are thinking like, you know, we had this whole conversation about, well, Amy and Shanti are like, well, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> and Don's like, I, I have to give you results. So <laughs> I just want to make a point that like that conversation isn't delivered from like a snotty point of view, like, you know, where you're the expert, because I'm very big into customer service. And that's one of the reasons, I mean, it's one of the things I charge for, I mean, overall, right? And I will tell people on that call, I mean, it's the same time I'm telling them, I don't know if I can guarantee your results. What I'm going to say, say also is, look, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to, I'm going to write this copy. I'm going to work with your designer to make sure it's implemented correctly. I'm going to follow along. You're going to have paid me. I like to plant that seed. You're going to have paid me and we will be done with the project. You will not be rid of me. I'm not easy to get rid of. I want to know how it works. I want to see the copy live. I want to get your, you know, I, I, so like, I just reassured them, like, like, and when you see that big price tag, you're not just getting a deliverable, right? Right. You're getting, you're getting a whole experience and, and I like doing that and I like being paid for it. Right. So, mm-hmm. well, Don has heard this. I mean, I have this, I call it non-resentment pricing. You know, it's like charge enough so that when, when stuff happens, you're not pissed off. Instead, you're like, okay, yeah, this is a snappy, but you know, I'm being paid well for this. I'll just deal with it. Instead of feeling like, uh, uh, you know, getting all grumpy. Money goes a long way to soothing that, I find. It does. Mm-hmm. It absolutely does. And that certainty that you're going to be by their side, you're not just get, like that's, and that's a huge pain point when someone's hiring a freelancer, a contractor of any sort. I, I don't know many business owners that haven't been ghosted. I've been ghosted. It sucks. There's not much you can do about it. And you're, and you're left feeling like, oh, do I now have to mistrust everyone I bring on as an expert? And so what you're doing is, is ensuring them that like, nope, I see you. I know that happens. That's not me. I've got the track record to show it and yeah, you're going to pay for it, but I'm also going to deliver. Yeah. And wouldn't you rather pay for that than pay less and be uncertain? Absolutely. Right. I mean, the ultimate thing is as, as the person hiring, you want the thing off your plate, right? You want it taken care of and you want it taken care of in like completely and professionally. And I will pay more for knowing that that's an absolute than pay half price to wonder. Totally. And that you're communicating that speaks to, it's, it's a part of the value and the positioning and okay. So let's look at even this project where the client decided that, well, yeah, I hired you and and paid good money, but my team, I think maybe my team actually knows better and I'm going to let them like tear this apart and we're going to launch it. And how could I have communicated better from the very beginning that I've got your back. I want to make sure this works. Maybe you'll get it and, and you'll have questions or doubts. And can we talk about those? Can we work together while still making this project work? Mm -hmm. 
And you know, I mean, one of the things I, I, you know, I don't work or I didn't work with, um, sorry, I'm just make, making a note here so I don't forget. I, I didn't like working with big companies because I do not like a whole lot of stakeholders in the picture. It's just, it's too much. It's, it's just, it's, it's difficult. It's just flat difficult. But when I did get in those situations, I, mean, I would talk to them first, like, okay, who, who's on this project and what's their role and what can we expect? And can we talk about how copy will be reviewed? And what I'll say to people like very directly is I, like, we have to get clear that this is not about what you like. It's not about what I like. It's not even about your, what your audience likes. It's about what works. So are you open to that? Cause look, I, you know, I, you know, I've been studying best practices for a long time. I've been doing this for a long time. I have my finger on the pulse of what's working, but you know, I, I know like when you have an in-house team, it can be tricky, right? Because I don't want to be their competition. I don't want to be your nemesis, but you're bringing me in and I really want you to take advantage of that. Are you comfortable with that? Does that make sense to you? Mm. Doesn't mean that they won't not do what they said, but at least I'm laying the groundwork for, I always feel like it's important with clients to have said the thing. Yeah. Because right? even, even like when someone comes back to you and they're like, oh, I don't like this and this isn't going to work. And you say, well, listen, best practice to show us that this, this, and that, and this is why I did this. And this is like, you know, this is actually like what your audience said and that, but it, like, I'll defend it, but not being a jerk. Like, I just want you to know this. So like later on they'll go, oh, she was right. And not, not because I'm smug, but because I want them to know that I was willing to tell them the truth. And that is worth paying more for. So this, yeah, this I think ties into the pricing conversation and the positioning one. I do too. Yeah. And that's why it's to some extent it's a decision, right? Because I mean, your positioning could be this white glove customer service, like I was talking about. And that's, you know, and so like you give people this entire experience and you tell them that because I mean, some people go, I don't give a rip. Who cares? I don't want to ever talk to you. Just get my work done. But, you know, if you need the money, fine, but it's probably not your best client. You know, somebody else who's like, oh, great. You're going to do that for me. Thank you. Let me, like, let me just like, you know, back off and go do something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, and again, it's like, it's like, how complete are you? T- how completely are you taking it off their plate and how confident do they feel? And I, I just have to add, and Shanti, you, like you sort of alluded to this, you know, in ghosting, it's shocking. How many people ghost and don't do what they say they're going to do? Like shocking. Mm. Yeah, truly. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So that's not that hard to compete against. Just saying. Yeah, that makes me feel right? like yeah, I'm not bad at implementing then because I certainly have never done that. And I certainly never would. I think with our last, we kind of like, we've been talking around the pricing idea and we've been talking a bit about pricing, but like how do and non-resentment pricing, but how do we figure out what to price as creative freelancers? How, uh, please enlighten me now and I'll go put an offer together. <laughs> I have some thoughts. You, put it <laughs> you want me to share mine? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I, I found yes. like, so I'm sorry if that's my slack. Um, I have found that, uh, I have seen people working with you, like double and triple their prices and, and continue to like book out months ahead of time. So how do you know when it's time to raise your prices or where to start your prices? And then um, I feel like we spoke a lot about sort of the, the, the persuasion part that not persuasion, but like the positioning part, but yeah. How, how do you know, how do you know when it's time or, or, or what to charge? Yeah. The timing is, is a little bit, that, that's a little bit finessey. 
But like coming up with the price really isn't. I mean, I, I think that people should have an internal, an, an internal hourly rate. And what happens a lot of times when people start businesses, especially if they come from jobs, they don't realize that like your, you know, what you take in is not your profit. Mm. And so I think that's the first thing people have to wrap their minds around because people feel weird charging high prices and they're like, well, at my job, I made half that. Well, yeah, at your job, you didn't pay for your own health care. And well, this is a, a uniquely American phenomenon, I realize. But like, I mean, there's all these expenses you have as a business owner that you did not have as an employee. And you, and you need first, as you said, Don, to treat yourself well and take care of yourself. And so you need to know, like, how much money do I actually need? Mm. And, and I don't think people necessarily know that because remember, you have to pay taxes. Right. So like anything you bring in is not yours to spend. And so you need to know what you actually need to bring in to live on. And that's based. I mean, great. Making more than that. Of course, we all want to do that. But like first, you know, the first and foremost is you want to pay your bills. And so if you take an internal hourly rate, then, of course, you have to know how long things take you to do, which is a real pain in the ass. But you really do need to know. I mean, you have to time yourself. Because invariably, you think it takes you less time to do something than it does. And when you start timing, you're like, oh, shit, I thought that took 10 hours. It took me a week. And that, and that, that affects your rate, right? Because you have to divide with, like, if you, and I'm not a fan of, I don't love retainers. That's another story. But I'm not a fan at all of hourly. I like project pricing. But it needs to be calculated for you. Well, it doesn't need to be, but this is an easier way to do it, is if you calculate it for you based on an internal hourly that based on what you know you need to make. So let's just, I don't know, take a round number. Say you need to make $50,000, which breaks out to what? That's like 4,000 and something a month. And then you go, okay, how many hours am I going to work? And what do I need to be charging? And you need to take into account that all your, all your hours available to you to work in your business aren't, done, aren't being done doing client work, right? You've got admin, you've got marketing, you have all kinds of stuff to do. So you really need to look at, like to run a holistic business you need to account for that time, right? You need to know like everything that you do because you have to be compensated for the other things you do. And that's, and that's just a fact. So, and I think, I think it's pr like pretty common, like $50 an hour is pretty low. People do start there. I kind of try and tell people if they're brand new, start around 75 or 80 an hour you know, with the goal of moving up to, up to 100. Because if you get up to 100 and you're pretty careful about your time and you start to think about, you know, because once you, you know, once you start making money, you can offload some of the admin tasks for way less money than you're making per hour. So that's, you know, that makes good business sense. But I think if you start with somewhere around 75 or 80, as you feel like you're no longer like a brand newbie, you know, consider moving yourself up to 120 and 100 and then eventually to 125. Now you asked on when, when do you do that? Mm. I think if you let, if, if you don't, sort of struggle and stress about it too much and let your intuition take over, you get a sense. Mm. It's like you've done the project. It's coming really easy to you. The sales calls are closing easily. Yeah, you're getting better at this. And, and that's time. That's the time to raise your rates. And I'll just say one more thing too. I think, and this is not a plug for me or for Shanti, I think getting with a mentor is real. It can, it, it, it can just cut your time. Because I can look at somebody's work and say, yeah, you could be commanding this. Because I know compared to X, Y, and Z who are charging this. And, you know, that's not my business to tell them out loud, but I do, you know, what anyone else is charging, but I do have kind of a frame of reference. And I think that really helps. You know, I just say, people told me for years, like, you have to be in the right room. And I'm like, uh-huh, oh, sure, I'm sure you do. I had no idea what that meant. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what you could get from it. And then I got in the right room and I've been in rooms ever since, mm -hmm. right? Like getting help, learning what my friends do, what my colleagues do, how we can 
you know, how we can borrow from each other, help from each, help each other, all of those, those things. I think it's invaluable because like, how do you know otherwise? Right. I mean, it's, you know, you're walking into something with no playbook. Yeah. Uh, the right room pretty much means everything. I feel like I've like blasted into this copywriting uh, career by being in a room with you and Shanti kind of from, from really the beginning. And, and then also having like, we'll call them expanders. It's, it's from like a, to be magnetic, but having these expanders, like, like you and Shanti and Joe, who are just like crazy killing it. And like, yeah, further along, but not necessarily like 3000 times smarter, right? Like someone that you can like see yourself in who's doing something that you could never imagine. I have lots of friends like that right now where like I'm an expander for them because they're like, wait a minute, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, I'm working for myself. And they're like, how much are you making? I'm like, I brought in this much last month with like, you know, three or four clients or something. And they're like, oh yeah, but you must be working like crazy. And I'm like, well, you actually, <laughs> I did pay some subcontractors out. So, you know, but I'm, but I'm not working like crazy. Like I'm not putting in the same sorts of hours that I had to put in, God forbid, like when I was like waitressing to, to, to pull in that sort of money at like 30 bucks an hour or whatever, you'd have to put in more hours than there are in a week. But I could never have imagined that. And actually I was just, oh, I was just going to get braggy, but I will. I was just, I was just drinking wine with Joe. And I, and I was like, like, and they're like, oh, how are you making that much money? I'm like, well, I use the copywriter or the copy hackers calculator to figure out how much to charge for things. So if you have something like that, that can show you like where, like based on your ability, maybe not abilities, but based on the training that you've take, taken and the experience that you're at, like what you should sort of charge, I think um, it can be a really helpful for getting into a place where you're not like, I see a lot of like content, uh, content writers, not copywriters, but content writers and like social media managers, like really working hard for like 30 bucks an hour if they're lucky and just like writing copy all day, every day. And like, I can't personally can't do that. Like ener energetically, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. And so yeah, being in the right room and then being able to see yourself in the human beings around them, around you. It doesn't have to mean that you like are the same gender or are working in the same niche or even really doing the same, same job, but just seeing people like even just listening to the podcast and, and all of these different entrepreneurs that we have on who are killing it in all of these different areas, it can show you, show you what you, what you can, can do. And then to have the support to ask for what you need. Like, yeah, I, I definitely feel like it's really nice to have a, a coach or a mentor who's like, no, you're good at what you do. And like, this is an amount of money that you can command. And if you don't, you won't. Like if you don't ask, you won't get it. <laughs> yeah. Just a quick story about taxes. <laughs> the first year that I left a, my in-house position, I just didn't understand taxes. This is absurd. Like my dad is a financial planner and never really taught me about taxes. And I must've skipped all those classes. So I ended up at the end of the year, I got a tax bill for like 16 grand uh, that I didn't have. Like I hadn't set any money aside at all. 
And that was a hard lesson. So just those things that you don't think about making sure you've got extra like rainy day fund, three months of expenses in the bank, all of those things need to be accounted for. I would say Mm. when, when setting your hourly rate, when figuring out your pricing. And then one principle that I've for a long time abided by, I don't know how long it's going to be sustainable or if this is just a forever thing. I'm curious what you think, Amy, but when I start to become like booked out two, three, four months in advance, then I take that as a sign to raise my price. But it is getting to a point where it's starting to feel like deeply uncomfortable. So I'm like, oh, this is this just my personal ceiling? Probably. Probably. And what and where do you get uncomfortable? Like thinking like the number just looks too big or yeah, okay, or all of it. Yeah, and, and comparing it to the past as well. Mm. Like, oh, I started here and like this is where I'm at. Like, whoa, really? Am I really that much better? Is my track record really that great? Like all the doubts come in. And Sure. Like I'm still experiencing that. I've raised my prices more times than I can count. And if you're listening to this and you're just getting started, it's the exact same experience. It's just dealing with bigger, bigger numbers. But I think it's a similar emotional experience and the same fears just keep coming, coming back. Yeah. And, you know, we have so much baggage attached to money. I mean, money is so loaded for people, right? Like what you mm-hmm. think of it, what, like even like what you just said, it's like, like, it, it's curious, like whatever that number is for you, like, you know, it's probably a different number for me and a different number for Dawn, you know, and then yours will expand or, but, but the thing, and I think this is really important for people to know, like at every stage of your business, you deal with the same imposter moments, right? Like who am I to, and should I really, and can I really, and will they really, and all of those things. Like that doesn't, I don't think that goes away. It just, you get better at dealing with it and you know, you know, you know, the answers more, but I I think that's human nature. And, you know, it speaks to why confidence is so important or why, like, if you don't feel confident, you like replace it with boldness Mm. until you become confident. You know, and it's funny too, because I mean, it, it really, you have to be bold to start a business. I mean, don't you think? I mean, it's not, yeah. you know, I mean, supposedly it's everyone's fantasy. I don't know if that's really true. I think everyone's fantasy is like to do whatever the hell they want and have enough money to do it. And they think that's what business is and it's not, but it can be if you, you know, if you work hard enough and, and, and do it the right way. But I think the thing to understand is, you know, everyone's going along on the same trajectory and it really is up to you and it's so worth grabbing. Like, like I don't, I don't know how I like if either of you do say, like, how do you, because I'm not a fan of fake it till you make it. I mean, it's just too bullshitty. It's too phony, right? Like nobody, like that's not like mm-hmm. nobody can like get that in their grounded nest that they're going to talk about it. Right. So, but, but you do need to find some courage or some something. And like, so what is that? It's like, if you've been bold enough to start the business, like be bold enough to follow through, but yeah. yeah. Where does that come from? How do you instill that? How do you get it? Where do you get it? I think, and again, not to plug both of you as my copy coaches and mentors, but I think a really big part of that is having the right people around you to, to 
to bolster you. So it's not fake it till you make it. So that's having copy school or whatever the thing is that you need. So you're like, oh shit, yeah, I don't know how to write this funnel, but that's okay because it's funnel track number three in Sam Wood's course and Sam's the freaking expert, right? And then it's being able to go to, whether it's a coach that you're paying or a mentor that you're helping, like, or even, you know, like I subcontracted for Shanti for a year before she hired me and my emails got incredibly better during that time. So finding, even if it's a copy mentor to work under now, I'm not plugging myself, but yes, like if there are people that you can have to help you realize that you have the skills and then knowing where to go to also acquire those skills, if you are the personality type who is willing to do it. I think, I think that's the answer. We just can't do anything alone, you know, without community, not that we can't do anything alone, but it's not sustainable for very long. And if we don't have the right people around us to bolster us up and support us. And like, if you don't know how to do a project, but someone around you does, and you can ask for help, that is a beautiful way to, to get there. And, you know, I don't know how to like, buy Facebook ads, but I know who does a really good job of it and I can write killer copy for them. So why wouldn't I like bring someone else on to help? You know, and what you talked about event expanders, like we all need to look for those people. That's what getting in those rooms is, I think. You know, you're around people who are, you know, more successful than you, further along than you, um, maybe even smarter than you. Mm-hmm. You know, doesn't hurt. You know, I, I mean, the first thing that I did was I joined Joe's mastermind and it was 12 grand and I'd never spent 12 grand on anything that wasn't like a house or a car. Seriously. It was like, what? It just seemed like a lot of money to me, but I wanted to do it. Like I, somehow I knew that it would be worth it. Mm. Um, it was a really, really big leap. It changed everything. Just changed everything. You know, I mean, it's great yeah. to be around somebody who was like, I mean, she was way earlier in, in her career then. But I mean, she was charging big prices and had like, you know, big vision and got a lot of shit done. And I was like, that's somebody, that's somebody I can learn from. That's somebody I could follow. Yeah. So I think, I think that's important. Like you want to get around those people and like expand your vision and build your confidence and let them tell you if you're any good or not. Cause you know, if you're not, don't waste your time. And if you are, don't waste your time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. I think uh, Chanel Mullen, I think that's how you say her name. She worked for CXL for a while, but she had a blog post that was like, I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. And I think that is totally so relevant. Me too. I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. Like I love learning from other people and it actually doesn't make me feel less confident. It makes me feel like I have like resources to, to become more confident and, and to learn from, and it's always good to be humbled. Maybe, maybe not when you're setting your prices, but it's always good to, to be humbled and um, yeah, and to see what what could happen and, and what you could create. And people with big ideas are exciting to be around too. That's admiring. Right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I did ask Joe's best friend recently, like how she gets so much done. She was like, All right, I'm inspired. I'm also like confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't think she sleeps. That's my only, the only way it's possible to do so much. Me and Shandi were talking about that too. And Shandi like does so much. And she's like, how is this person doing this so much? And I'm like, well, she's 10 years older than you. Let's just wait and see where you're at when you're in your forties. Right. Cause you're just like 31 and already have done so much. And I think also like 
mm, being in the rooms, but then not suffering from comparisonitis is uh, there's and there's like we always say, there's so much growth to be done uh, in your business and in your life. And and being in those rooms, sometimes that might be a reason not not to join those rooms is like, oh, I, I don't want to compare myself to, yeah, like like summer or like Aaron Steele or something like that. But like, if you can just be there, admire, learn and absorb, I think you probably won't even have to worry about raising your prices. You'll just know when to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said for that. It's sort of like getting into that world and getting into the flow and knowing what other people are doing, but not to compare yourself. But to like get it, get a sense of like where do you, you know, where can you like sort of place or position yourself? Mm. I now want to go off on another tangent. So that makes me think that maybe now is a good time to be like, Amy, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Please come back again. And where can people find you? Where is your favorite place to be found? Um, and how can they work with you? So my favorite place to be found is on my website. I'm all over socials and I'm really bad at DMs. So just know that. Right. I have to do that. Um, so my website is good. And, and that's and that's where you find out how to work with me too. I do like I do something called coaching on demand and copy chiefing on demand um, and my mastermind and you know and that kind of thing. And plus I'm, you know, I'm no, I'm not gonna say that. That's just that. <laughs> okay. Oh, um, the open loop. <laughs> <laughs> Next time we have Amy on the pod. She's gonna say that. Um, I will I will definitely plug the mastermind, really hoping to join again in the fall. And I don't know if you'll still be offering it, but if you're in the mastermind, you get WhatsApp access to Amy. So that is a great time. Um, super helpful. And maybe we have a, a mini course. Do you have a mini course we'll be dropping in the show notes, Amy? Is that right? Oh, I yes, I do. Um, it's not quite up yet. So I won't, give, I won't give you the URL. All right. Right. Yeah. But it'll be in the show notes. And yes, I have a, it's called um, break, getting breakthrough clients. Oh, cool. Okay. We'll get on Amy's list so that when that drops, you'll be the first to pick it up. Mm. Oh, yeah, I feel free, by the way. It's not a paid thing. Just you know. amazing. Even better. Yeah. Oh, I feel like we could chat forever. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. Yeah. I know it's like where's the lunch and the wine and like let's right? and like get cozy and talk more. Yes, please. We are going to have um, a podcast retreat one day. Um, yeah, thank you so much for everything, both of you. You are Two of my favorite people. Thanks for having me. Well, look at you listening to the very end. We are so deeply grateful for you and borderline obsessed with hearing what resonated most and how you're taking the seeds planted in these conversations and sowing them in your life and business. It would mean more than you know if you would share this episode with a friend or subscribe, rate, leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Your reviews tell the algos behind the apps that we are worth pressing play on. So please, if you're feeling generous, take two minutes to share the love. And if you are curious around what your unique advantage is in this wild and wacky online world, Take the unfair advantage quiz at shandyzack.com forward slash UA quiz. 
And thank you again, sunshine. Go light up the world and we'll see you next time.